All right. Welcome, everybody, to the first uh, PhD podcast. Uh, me and Jason are super excited uh, to bring to you a, a special guest, a friend of ours. Um, but before we do that, we want to sort of just uh, kind of tell you about how we came up with this uh, this idea of, of, of basically creating a platform for, for PhD students. So um, the purpose essentially of the podcast um, isn't really, you know, isn't really to ask PhD students PhD worth questions, but more so tell the world that, you know, behind every expert or behind, you know, a paper that, uh, that influenced them is, uh, is a student who's, who's really just, you know, working to, to answer their own questions and learn more about their field. And we wanted to highlight that uh, and hear every student's own journey to where they are now, what inspired them. And um, I think this is, a, first of all, a great, a great person to start off with. Uh, but uh, I think overall, the initiative is, is, uh, is going to be fun. That's for sure. So um, I guess we can be in. Uh, I think there's nothing. So I think, uh, first of all, I want to introduce our guest, uh, Meredith, if you want to introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Meredith Shapu. Um, I'm currently a PhD student at Ohio University with Dr. Dustin Grooms. Um, I'm a physical therapist by background. I went to PT school at Creighton University and I graduated in 2018. And while at Creighton, I did research with Dr. Terry Grimestaff in ACL reconstruction and mainly like strength and return to play outcomes. Um, prior to PT school, I did my bachelor's degree in exercise science at the University of Minnesota Duluth. And kind of my, my journey to PT started through athletics. I was big into basketball myself and I, in high school, I had two knee surgeries and I actually ended my competitive basketball career by breaking my leg. And through my rehab journey through all of that, I was never able to get back to like my prior competitive level of function. And so I wanted to become a physical therapist so that I could help athletes reach their goals to play college athletics and to do it well, because I was never able to reach, get back to that point. So that's kind of my journey from how I started to where I am now. And Meredith, you, were, you spent a year in, in a fellowship as well? I did. So after graduating from PT school, I went to residency for sports specialization at Vanderbilt University. And so I had the opportunity to teach in a PT program at Belmont. And then I worked with Vanderbilt Athletics. What was your role there, like, specifically? What kind of stuff were you working on there? So, in athletics, I was the only physical therapist down there, except for the other resident. And so, it was an opportunity for me to learn from the athletic training staff and get kind of like an inside look at the dynamics between coaches, strength and conditioning, athletic training, and see the whole gamut. Um, I worked very closely with the sports medicine staff, like the physician fellows as well. So I attended all of their didactic curriculum and I had my own physical therapy didactic curriculum that I did throughout the 18 months as well. Um, 
physical therapy residency is very similar to like a physician residency where it's a way to kind of narrow your practice and focus and then you can sit for your board specialization afterwards. So I'm curious to ask what um, what brought you to Ohio? So at the end of my PT schooling I was kind of at this crossroads of do I want to do residency or do I want to do a PhD? And I decided the residency route because I didn't feel like I had enough clinical experience to um, develop really good research questions or to understand how I could make my research more clinically applicable. And then through residency, I realized that a lot of what we're doing in the clinic biomechanically or whatnot might not translate directly to my practice. And I was more familiar with Dr. Grooms's work and I saw him speak for the first time at our APTA combined sections meeting in Washington DC two years ago. And after watching his presentation, it really kind of put full circle for me of like, wow, like this can change sports medicine, not even just like slightly impact it, but what his framework and the way that he was attacking the ACL problem was completely different. And I thought just had a lot of overlap with my values yeah. initially from like a research perspective. So what do you think that, um, along those lines, uh, I, from what I heard, that presentation was packed, if I remember correctly. Uh, it, and yeah. yeah, Dr. Grooms has been a great influence in, in my life and, and the work we're doing here. Um, a great guy, down to earth, man. Uh, but I want to ask, what, what do you think the problem is in terms of like, what is the ACL problem? What is the ACL problem? <laughs> what do you, that's a loaded question. Essentially, you know, uh, I guess what, what, what brought you there? And, and you know that's I think that's a like I guess I guess I think a better question to ask is what like what specific questions are you trying to answer at Ohio with Dr. Grooms? So we have a lot of really good biomechanical background, right? We know that there's certain risk factors with landing mechanics or such that might predispose somebody for this injury, um, more specifically like second injury, and. They're, they all seem to be the same. We have injury prevention programs, right, that we can employ that help relate back to some of these issues. But my biggest thing was, so I can do all my rehab correctly. I can get my patient strength back. I can get them to hop symmetrically or hop further than they did at baseline. Mm -hmm. But yet they continue to go on to tear their ACL or their contralateral side again. So for me, I was just like, there's a huge, there's a huge gap in whatever we're assessing and however we're employing our interventions. And I thought that Dr. Grooms's attack at the problem was kind of exactly similar to like what I was looking for. Yeah. For, for those that, for those that might be unfamiliar with like Dr. Grooms's specific research, could you provide like a short summary exactly of what, what he does from like an ACL perspective? Yeah. And so a lot of his work has looked at the 
central nervous system changes, specifically using functional MRI um, to measure how does the brain change after NACL reconstruction. And so what we see is that individuals, after, their tear, after they tear their ACL, they go through rehab, they require a lot more like frontal cortex activity or they think about their knee a lot more to produce the same movement that somebody who has never torn their ACL does. And so in terms of like reaction time and looking at sports specific movement, you're not able to think about your knee while you're kicking a soccer ball or, you know, trying to defend a play. And so a lot of what his research or what our research here at Ohio is trying to look at is kind of how does the brain change after an ACL reconstruction? And then the next step is like, are there interventions that we can employ to help negate and change, not, or negate those changes from happening? Yeah. Um, to the listeners, uh, we we asked Meredith, and, and and this is the plan going forward, is to ask uh, everyone who comes on to send us sort of like a paper that really inspired them um, to to get them to where they are. And so uh, we'll we'll um, we'll attach this paper uh, and the link to it. Uh, but the paper that was sent to us was uh, Dr. Groom's paper from 2015, uh, which was. Uh, Neuroplasticity following anterior cruciate ligament injury, a framework for visual motor training approaches and rehabilitation. Um, and this was done uh, alongside with uh, Dr. Applebaum and Dr. Onate. Uh, and so, um, forgive me if I pronounce those names wrong, but um, so along those same lines, what was it about this sort of paper that you uh, were really inspired with? So this was published in 2015, and if you talk to Dr. Grooms about it now, he's like, man, I wrote that when I, when I didn't know anything. And so it's kind of funny to like look back on it, but this was his first article that I ever read, and I was in my third year as a, in PT school on my last clinical rotation at a sports um, clinic. And the sports clinic I was at, they really focused on using like external focus of attention and like those types of cues in their sports performance. And I had never like thought that that was a thing because all of my other clinicals, right. It was just like, don't let your knee go over your toe when you squat kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so it was like totally different for me to think about things that way. And then when I read this, I was like, vision is involved in an ACL injury. What? And I didn't really think anything of it until when I got back into residency and reading like um, Ellie and Anna's work and a lot of more motor control type activities, I revisited it. And I realized that through my interventions in therapy, by trying to employ some of their uh, motor learning principles or like just their interventions that they had, I could directly see in front of my eyes changes in the way that my patients were moving and that my cues I was giving them were almost inhibiting the way that they were moving and to a point where they're like self-conscious of how they're moving. So I thought that this paper gives a good at least introduction as far as the sensory reweighing that happens after an ACL reconstruction and becoming more visually dominant 
and the fact that using an intervention such as like strobe glasses can help immediately in the clinic intervene on that reway. So, so one of the, one of the, I think one of the themes that was, that was in that article was about like visual dominance in terms yeah. of the sensory motor system. So would you say that someone who's, who hasn't had an ACL injury, but is, is more visually dominant, would they be considered at a greater risk for ACL injury? I don't know that that answer exists. <laughs> right. But what, because so a lot of, a lot of this visual dominance um, we're seeing in like after the ACL reconstruction. So more so instead of like predicting the ACL injury, mm-hmm. more so like we train this individual through rehab to be visually dominant. So yeah, I see. one of the first, interventions like if I'm going to train somebody to do balance activities one of the first things I do is I have them close their eyes on stable ground if if that's good we go to foam right right but to do proprioceptive activities I need somatosensory input but yet I put this person on foam and I'm making them rely more on their vision and their vestibular system and we do the same thing with squats And so I think it's more so after the injury occurs, the way that we induce our rehab interventions. Um, I mean, there's, there's literature to support, you know, processing speed, reaction time, all of those components impact your landing mechanics. Um, But I don't know that we have that, that visual dominant drives it. Okay, so you're saying it's more of like a that's more of like a post injury like compensation. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Exactly. So, what um, along those lines? Uh, what do you think are some areas that we can improve on for ACL injury prevention? Being that your background is a clinician and now a student, uh, a PhD student. Honestly, I think one of the biggest things we need to do is utilize the programs that we already have. Um, like, there was just a survey of Division One uh, female athletes that went out, and the majority of them in the, involved in the survey had known about ACL prevention programs, but never participated in them. And so I think that's step one is we've done a lot of work and we know that these things can help improve biomechanics and neuromuscular control, but it comes from an interdisciplinary team and we need to educate our coaches. We need to educate our healthcare staffs and teams in general to figure out how can we best employ these interventions to start. And I think the next step after that would be using some more neurocognitive interventions and understanding that landing biomechanics and putting somebody in this specific box of you land appropriately might not be best for everybody. And a prevention program might include processing speed and that type of thing and figuring out how do we risk stratify somebody? Is it their landing biomechanics or is it their neurocognitive function? That's their main limiting factor to participate in their sport. Right. Because it seems like most of like the ACL injury screening methods right now are just they have an athlete do like a drop vertical jump and then they'll look at knee abduction or whatever, ground reaction force, and then classify them as, as higher risk. But, and we kind of, we kind of went back and forth a little bit 
on social media is that most of this most of the screening programs right now don't really have much of the cognitive components in there of, you know, reaction time different and how that correlates with some of the biomechanical measures. So I think your point's very valid right now in terms of we're kind of missing a, a big piece of that with some of the cognitive things. I think even some of the screening tools could be a little bit better as well. It's just rare, very rarely in sport does an athlete do a drop vertical jump and then land. Usually there's yeah. some type of cognitive component, whether they have a ball or they have to react to it visual stimulus so i think adding more cognitive demands within a biomechanical screening could also potentially be helpful in terms of mitigating acl injury risk i think you bring up a really good point um i know jason gets really excited when we talk about the brain and injuries and all that right i mean this is all really related to the work that i'm doing with concussion and post post concussion um you know, risk for like ACL and the lower extremity types of injuries. I mean, it's all very similar related work. Yeah, here I, I gave a, mechanisms. Uh, like a couple of years ago, um, I gave a presentation at a biomechanics conference on attentional focus and uh, ACL injuries. Um, and, uh, you know, a typical conference, you know, where people, a lot of people were talking about um, uh, sort of the biomechanical factors that, that, that are, related to ACL injury. And then I just started talking about attention and it was kind of like, uh, like the, the sort of like the shift, like everyone's so excited and all of a sudden it's like, what the hell are you talking about? Um, and so I think it's really important that you're tackling this, this type of, um, this type of issue. Uh, and so in that note, what, uh, what current or future sort of, uh, research studies are going on in your lab? Uh, and, uh, or what, or what research interest uh, do you have? And want to talk about that a little bit. So let's talk about our lab specifically first. So once we get to actually participate in research again, uh, we have kind of, <laughs> we're measuring individuals after their ACL reconstruction at three time points, six weeks, three months, and then six months. And so we're looking at their brain data, we're getting fMRI imaging, we're looking at gait mechanics, um, we're looking at muscle strength during that timeline, proprioceptive ability, or we're looking at uh, really their joint position sense. Mm. And then also we'll get balance under three conditions using like virtual reality. And then for specific for the ACL individuals, at six months, we're going to get their like hop performance function. And so we'll do traditional hops like are commonly used in the ACL literature. And then also our lab has developed the neurocognitive hops. And so it's taking the traditional four hops, but adding kind of a reaction time component in each one of those. And so throughout that timeline of six months through their recovery, we'll have kind of a progression of their brain activation and their strength and proprioceptive ability through that six months at least. Are they, are they all going through the same rehab protocol or does that vary potentially? No, so they won't have the same rehab protocol. And I think that that's actually very important because we see a lot of work out of like University of Delaware, for instance, their rehab generally is like highly controlled in that sense. And so you can see a lot of their work is very impactful, but the majority of other clinics, right, who might have lower functional outcomes and such, 
are coming from maybe rural communities all over the place. So it gives us a little bit more generalizability in that sense. Will you guys be collecting that sort of information though, like on what they're doing throughout those six months? So I, I don't believe specifically, no, I don't believe specifically that we have that in there. Um, that would be a more specific Dr. Groom's question. But we have like, we, I mean, we have a whole gamut also of like patient reported outcomes that we'll collect throughout that time as well. That's awesome. I think uh, you're definitely tackling it in a, in a very interdisciplinary nature, which is really important. Um, I know from our interactions that you're really interested in motor learning. Um, so what do you, I guess, from your knowledge as a physical therapist and now as a, as a PhD student, in terms of like the motor learning realm, because we've seen it uh, be very much uh, applied to ACL injury prevention, uh, what do you want to know or grasp more knowledge of uh, and apply it to your uh, sort of realm of study? So motor learning is something I'm like very new at. We don't get a ton of it in PT school. If, if programs do have a specific course on motor learning, it's generally applied specifically to like your stroke population, strictly to neurologic patients. And so, um, I'm really interested in variability and I'm very passionate about how in orthopedics for rehab, we kind of fit everybody into these bubbles and we expect you to look like this bubble. And, but through learning and through postural control, like you have to explore your end ranges of motion and we don't allow individuals to do that through therapy. So I'm interested in overall variability of like our interventions, how does the environment interact with those, and then layering on top of like neurocognitive function, um, specifically at like either the beginning stages of rehab, like involving interventions right after within the first eight weeks of therapy, and then also how that impacts second injury risk. That's awesome. Yeah, I think you and I shared similar passions we've discussed over over the last couple of months. Um, and I, I think to end off, uh, one of the uh, questions we had is, you know, what is one practical takeaway a physical therapist um, or coach, trainer, whatever maybe can take from your expertise? Um, and uh, you know, what are your what are your goals as a PhD student? You know. Coming straight from the clinic, I think that like my biggest advice is to like stay outside of the box. So you have to use your basics. Like number one thing is you have to you have to get your strength back after an ACL reconstruction, right? So there's a push for this neurocognitive intervention and like we want it early, but be creative. There's ways that you can gain strength and also challenge the other systems. And so I think just seeking those resources is important overall. Um, yeah, what was, what was your second question? Oh, and then just uh, what are your goals? I mean, I think it's an open question, but. You know, so there's, I gave this article to Dr. Grooms, um, like probably my third week maybe when I started here and it's a systematic review in stroke rehab. And it basically maps out like area of the brain with motor learning principle and intervention. 
and I went to him and I said, this is like my framework. This is how I, how I think orthopedic rehab and sports rehab should be employed. Not just thinking about how I can gain muscle strength back, but really like what is driving this and really how does the brain get impacted in this? And so I guess my overall goal, one is to create more awareness in the physical therapy and like rehab professions for this type of intervention. Also like promoting injury prevention programs and really trying to like make that an emphasis. And then with my research focus, working on how, how can we best make neurocognitive interventions employable in a clinic? Low cost, how can, I, how can I make this relatable? Because a lot of the time what we do in the research lab just can't, can't bridge that gap. And we want it to. But clinicians need things that are easily accessible, not time consuming and just really provide a lot of value for little cost to them. That's awesome. Uh, Jason, you got anything? No, I think that's it. It was really, this is really insightful, Meredith. Thanks for, thanks for chatting about this. Really interesting stuff that you guys are doing. Looking forward to hearing more about it. Yeah, Meredith, thank you so much for, for being our first sort of uh, spotlight. Um, but uh, I know we'll have you back here. Uh, and, uh, our interactions will obviously continue on. Um, and we wish you nothing but the best. Um, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Thank you. I appreciate you guys for having me and good luck on your defense, Jason. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Working on that. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Oh, oh, before we go though, if you wanted to provide, uh, like, uh, how people can reach out to you, oh, social yeah. media, what now it's a good place to find you. Yeah. Um, I'm highly active on Twitter. <laughs> we all are. Yeah. So, yeah, you can definitely follow me on Twitter. It's just at Meredith Shapu, or you can, you can reach out to me by email. Honestly, if you want, it's at Meredith Shapu at gmail.com and I'm happy to provide any resources or um, anything that way too. Yeah. Well, uh, once you put your, uh, once you put this up, we'll uh, definitely link uh, your Twitter account and your email so people can, reach out to you um but hey thank you again uh for coming and uh i really look forward to seeing what what you guys do down there in ohio i appreciate it thank you Thanks, all right